This week on WealthTrack, an exclusive on crisis investing with great investor First Cohen. Individuals, what Warren Buffett says, you're like a batter with an infinite number of strikes at bat. You don't have three strikes in your out. You can wait. You can be patient. I'm not saying it's easy. Patience, big virtue. Number one virtue you can probably have in the stock market. Perspective from 50 plus years experience this week on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, a Leg Mason company, Miller Value Funds, Royce and Associates, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Our topic this week, how to invest through a crisis. We are in a rolling one right now, subject to the vagaries of the advance or retreat of the COVID-19 virus. It is an ever-changing scenario. So far, the markets have been betting on COVID's retreat and global economic recovery. These charts, courtesy of Ed Hyman's team at Evercore ISI, tell that story. Since the March 23rd low, the S&P 500's recovery has been a V-shape, as has Germany's equivalent DAX index and the price of copper and economically sensitive metal. Contrast those rebounds to these employment declines, courtesy of Jason Trenet's research at Strategus. Total non-farm payrolls fell from 152.5 million in 2019 to 130.3 million at the worst of the shutdown and have recovered to only 137.8 million by recent count. Still nearly 15 million jobs lower than the peak. According to Strategus's calculations, unemployment claims at the worst of the great lockdown this year reached 7.1% of the population, far exceeding any period since the Great Depression. How to handle these extremes as investors? Well, as we have so many times in the past, we are calling upon a veteran investor to help us out. He is great investor Hirsch Cohen, co-chief investment officer of Clearbridge Investments, where he oversees $150 billion in assets, including the firm's dividend strategy portfolios. With more than 50 years of managing money under his belt, Cohen established his reputation with the Clearbridge Appreciation Fund, which he ran for three decades, during which he edged out the S&P 500 with much less risk and volatility than the market. I asked Cohen to put the pandemic experience in context. How does it compare to other crises? Well, the the first word that came to mind when this hit was unprecedented, unprecedented in terms of the lockdown of an entire country, um, the the lack of knowledge as to how how extensive this would be. So two comparisons that came to mind. One was 9-11 and the impact on a, on a country, the impact particularly in New York, but on a country as a whole, to the psyche of the country, what it did. Um, I'll come back to that. And then uh, to the 2008 uh, financial crisis. And so they're different. But in both cases, we had uh, drastic market drops, disruption to the country, just as we have now. Post 9-11, um, 
uh, people didn't know when we would get back to normal. I used to think, how's downtown New York ever going to come back? And um, it, it, it actually took years. It, it took years for people to feel comfortable uh, and to go back down 20 years later, almost 20 years later, but it, it happened. And that, that's, uh, so that, that's encouraging, although clearly um, the number of years were, were, uh, were painful. I, I first wrote something right after the pandemic broke out, a week or so after. I said, well, the good thing is that unlike 2008, when you could blame Wall Street, the bankers, um, and there would be a big blame game going on, this would not have any politics, because who could have politics over a pandemic? <laughs> Worst prediction I've made <laughs> since I don't know when. <laughs> we, we throw up our hands at, at that, no we question throw, about right, it. Right, right. So, but here's the thing. Well, let's go back one more crisis, the uh, 1930, not post post. 1929. I remember my wife asked me um, in uh, after one of the huge down days, the 12 percent down day um, in the beginning of this. She said, oh, is this another 1929? Because I had said I said, that's one of the worst days on record. The crash at 29 was 11 percent. Just for the record, you were not around in 1929. I was not around in 1929, <laughs> but this I have is, certainly this is because you're a market historian. I, but right. I have certainly put a lot of study into the uh, right to the 30s, the, the Great Depression, and um, so and, and I said, well, I don't think this will become a 1930, but that's the real question um, because the mistakes that were made in 1930 are being. Clearly, the opposite is happening now. The Fed, yes. uh, the Fed accidentally tightened. You had the Smoot-Hawley tariffs, which shut down world trade. You know, I, I'm not I'm not happy about um, the the rattling of cages again with China. I think I thought I hoped that with the first part of the trade deal that would would go away because I think tariffs um, are would be a dangerous thing in this. I, I don't like them. Period. But in this economy, right. not good. But the Fed has really. I mean, they, they they've saved they've saved the bacon, so to speak. They stepped in as they did um, in in 2009 and they rang a bell for the stock market. If there's ever such a thing as ringing a bell in the middle of March of 2009, the Fed came in and said, we're going to buy unlimited quantities of uh, right. mortgage backed securities. And that was like ding, 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 you know, because the, what it said is the Fed is going to stand behind everything. And, and I think so the Fed has done that in triplicate and quadruplicate in this particular crisis. This time, there was no delay. I mean, the Fed came in with both guns blazing in this, uh, um, in, in this crisis. And first, it was um, taking interest rates down to uh, zero. Second, it was backing up the money funds. Third, it was backing up commercial paper. Fourth, it was backing up um, uh, mortgage-backed securities, collateralized loans, um, short-term munis. I mean, all the things that could by themselves create uh, massive havoc. So, so you've really had a, a, an incredibly strong response to this. And clearly what's happened is that is what's um, have become known as the Fed put. In other words, anything right. that goes wrong, um, the Federal Reserve comes in and keeps it from collapsing. Um, is that their intent? I, I think it. I think it probably is part of their intent, and uh, I view it as doing their best to save the world. I mean, this is not just a U.S. thing. This is a world phenomenon. You see what um, uh, Europe just finally agreed on a, a massive stimulus right. package. So, oh, 
and, and in addition, the, the government, the the, um, the House no, and the Congress Senate, Congress and the they White got. House I mean, and, I mean, my yeah. gosh, they they started. Um, they came out with what uh, a high-powered stimulus program. So this thing has been has been um, really um, really attacked to avoid the worst case. So people have gotten smarter about how to handle this. And so there's wrangling going on right now, but it'll get solved. I mean, you don't have a choice. And I think what it has done is keep keep people from the worst case. It doesn't address the worst of the economic problems in the country. It doesn't doesn't address inequality. It doesn't address a lot of things. But what it does is at least it puts a safety net under many people. So far, so good as far as that's concerned. But uh, you know, the damage to the economy is real. How do you feel about the fact that the, right. the stock market has been incredibly strong um, and the economy is still, you know, is yeah. still very weak, even though it's recovering, but it's yeah. recovering from well, the depths of, you know, of a shutdown? The, the single most, most asked question I get is, gosh, what's going on with the market? The economy is really, uh, really stinks. What's going on? And so the, I, I think there's a and the economy is bad, and, and uh, I'm not as optimistic about how soon it's going to recover to anywhere near um, what it was. It'll take ages. I'm worried about the secondary, tertiary fallouts from things. Nobody knows. I mean, I think Charlie Munger said at the beginning, how can you know? You can't. This is unprecedented, so how can we know? But the question of how can the market be doing what it's doing in the face of this economy, that's a different story. And the different story is twofold. Number one, the massive amounts of liquidity, the zero, the effect of zero in interest rates. And that liquidity, people say, well, gee, it's amazing. There's no inflation. Well, there is this asset inflation. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. This money is not going into the cost of groceries and computers and autos and stuff. And there's sales all over the place on things. It's going into financial assets. And, right. Um, and also so- now, now homes. And People are I, actually I, buying homes again. Yeah, right. So I read. So I read. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so number one, massive amounts of liquidity, very low interest rates, which means you can't really put an adequate price earnings ratio on the market, because if, if you believe in the old valuation methods, which I do, and, and you somehow have a relationship between long term interest rates or the 10 year treasury and price earnings ratios, um, you would say that. Price earnings ratios could be infinite because you have a zero divisor. Okay, I'm not saying they'll be right. infinite, but you sh- people shouldn't say, "Oh, price earnings ratios of 30 are out of the question." They might they might be uh, valid. And the second thing um, is um, what I think is equally important in the rise of the stock market. It has come the acronym TINA. There is no alternative, yes. and uh, I don't consider that I don't consider that a valid reason for making investment decisions, but it is certainly leading to people um, being forced to buy forced to buy stock. There is no alternative. And so you think about, I've been saying this for several years, what, what do pension funds, what do foundations do who need a certain return? If, if you, we used to get a 60-40 mix, you know, kind of a, a mix that came, came to be after interest rates got up into the 8 and 9% in the 70s, and pension funds would have 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, make a nice return, meet your obligations. Well, what do you do when the 60% of stocks is seems high? And um, right. we, although we don't know for sure, 
if it is or it isn't, but but it, it let's say nominally it looks high, but more importantly, you're getting effectively nothing from your fixed income portion. So it puts a stress on a lot of things. So there is no alternative. It's forcing people to buy more stock. For the purpose of individual investors, it's much easier than it is for institutions, for fund managers, for institutional managers. Why do you say that? I say that because if you are, and, and I see it, if you are an institutional investor, a mutual fund manager, a um, someone who's managing money for people whose numbers are being scrutinized every day, and you see the FANG stocks, you know, uh, uh, Facebook, right. Amazon, Netflix, uh, Microsoft, uh, uh, Apple, if you see them going up every day and you have half the amount of those stocks in the index, you're worried about losing your job. Right, so as because an institution, you're not doing well relative to the index. F-O-M-O, right. fear of missing out. And so uh-huh. it drives people into these high fly. That's the institutional world. And I, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating it. I see it, even though I don't manage mutual funds anymore, I feel that pressure. However, right. doing this long <laughs> enough and I know enough, I don't have to do that. And individuals don't have to. Individuals, what Warren Buffett says, you're like a batter with an infinite number of strikes at bat. You don't have three strikes in your eye. You can wait. You can be patient. I'm not saying it's easy. Patience, big virtue. Number one virtue you can probably have in, in the stock market. So fear of missing out is, is really a, a driving a lot of these moves where you're getting stocks that have gone what I'll call parabolic. I'm not talking stocks with nice 45-degree uptrend. I'm talking stocks that uptrend and boom, parabolic. Right. And that, that's, that's never... Uh, that that never lasts. Something happens, and whatever it is, something happens, and it'll break it. Um, but what do you do if you're a fund manager and you're in a performance derby? And the answer is you you drive these stocks higher. What should individuals? What should people who want long-term financial success and security do? They should be buying the great companies when the market's down, and occasionally making a change. So you know, I've had to make a few changes. Over the years, there are stocks that uh, were um, were great dividend raisers, great companies. Mm-hmm. Maybe some in the ener- energy industry where things have changed, and so you have to make a change. But but for the most part, the great companies thirty years ago, many of them are still the great companies. Some have fallen by the wayside, so you can't just sit back and do nothing. You you you, you watch them, you 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 study. You have to put some work into it, and. Um, it, people make it more complicated than they need to. But let's talk about those stocks. You know, I, we, we, we've had a couple of, of our viewers write in and say, you've got to have Hirsch Cohen on again. We've been, you know, we've been looking at his 2010 interview, which is still available on WealthTrack.com. And, you know, where you were talking about the fact what a great opportunity it was in 2010 yeah. to buy some of these wonderful dividend compounders that you're talking about. And the reason that you gave Hirsch at the time was that, the, you know, the 10-year Treasury at that time was 3%. It's now at like six-tenths of a percent. Yeah. And the dividends on, on some of your dividend compounders, the yields, you know, were, were over 3%. Well, the dividend yield in the S&P 500 now is like, you know, un, a little under 2%. Yeah. And you call that a great buying opportunity because you had well. these great companies that were yielding more than the, you know, than the 10-year Treasury. Well, boy, are they ever now... Is this a great buying opportunity? Well, uh, let me come back to that. I'm okay. going to start. I'm going to start <laughs> by going to back to 2003 when they changed the tax law 
on dividends. Dividends had fallen out of favor in the 1990s. It used to be that dividends accounted for um, almost half the return of the stock market on a long-term basis because of stock options and kind of kind of corporate greed. I, th- I say dividend payouts uh, shrunk to where they were now down to 25% of after-tax profits, down from the 40 and 50% that companies had paid. When they changed the tax laws and made dividends more tax advantage, Scott Glasser and I came up with the idea of a program devoted to companies that had the ability to raise their dividends on a regular basis. It wasn't a mutual fund. It was separately managed account. It, right. it, they, they still go on. We, have, we, we love it. What, what we said in 2009, 2010, that, that for the first time since the mid-1950s, the, the upfront yield, that is the dividend yield on stocks, was greater right. than the upfront yield on treasuries. You hadn't seen that in how many years? Uh, 50, right. Over a little over 50 years, um, because stocks were considered capital gains vehicles, and they went. Uh, you had the great post World War II bull market, and then they okay. So dividends have become very important, and I think now it's clear everyone's getting into the dividend business now because people right. see it's really it works. It's really a good way. It, it works. Do I think it was a great opportunity in 2010? Yes. I mean, we made that clear. Um, do now? I think it's a, what about now? Do I think it's a great opportunity? I think, I think it's a Tina opportunity. There is no alternative. It's not. I have to say, given the price of, of the multiples of stocks, it's a little harder to make the case that you pound the. Uh, um, you know, pound the glove on on stocks in general. Right. I think you have to. I think you have to maybe go slowly. But if you ask me, is there an advantage over dividend-paying stocks versus anything else? I come back to that. What other people have have come to use as their mantra, which really it really is a good alternative. But but here's what people have to remember: if you don't have the patience to to be in there for long periods of time, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it because if you go in, if you wait for the market to get hot and you wait for it to get heated up and you buy stocks and then you get scared out at the first sign of a pandemic or whatever, that's a scientific way to lose money. And um, you don't want that. You want and, and, and you know what's incredible? This thing went down 35 for this market went down 35 percent in, in what, a few weeks. It, get, right, it got it March. back. It's got this country is amazing. The Fed does the right thing. Things you know, it's, it's always worked out and there's no reason to believe it won't work out in the future. You, but you have to be patient. It's not. Yes, stocks are are really attractive relative to treasuries. But our treasuries, is this a natural level for treasuries? Right. I, I, I would say for a year or two, for a year or two, yes. After that, when treasuries, if treasuries do start up, who knows? I mean, there's so much uncertainty on them. But listen, I love stocks. And you can certainly, and, and actually a lot of great dividend payers were left, have been left for dead as, the, uh, as, as some of the tech stocks went up. And so you, you really had, you've had some great opportunities in the last couple of months to add to these, to add to these great dividend payers. And, and a lot of them have started to come to life. And I, I can think of you know, I don't want to mention So give us some stock. examples, because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, 
you know, your uh, the, your dividend compounders list, which we'll update and put on our website yeah. once again, because again, it's one of the yeah. most popular things yeah. we've ever had on WealthTrack. Yeah. I have to be and careful I mean, about naming individual stocks in right. case we're buying them or in the, you know, I, I so. Right. But just in general, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking just so our viewers know, it's like companies like 3M and Coca-Cola and Home Depot and IP and, you know, Procter & Gamble and Texas yeah. Instruments and Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. All of those companies, you know, were on this list. Yeah. Yeah, and, and occasionally and, one gets dinged. But let me tell you, if you try to cherry pick three stocks and then one gets killed, you're in trouble. You really need a package right. of these. I had to make a presentation to one of my oldest inst- institutional accounts when I did a Zoom call with them and I wanted to bring them up to date. And I started to go through because I've, I've told them that dividend investing is, is clearly what uh, uh, one of the things that we do the best. And I went through all the stocks in their portfolio. And this is incredible. One stock had cut its dividend, Weyerhaeuser. Over 20 of right. them had already this year raised their dividend in a, in a pretty tough year, including during the past couple of months. So No, that's incredible, Hirsch. That's I did a, not yeah, know that. Yeah. Right. Now, the rate of dividend increases is slowing. Um, you had a big catch-up period in, in uh, 2010, 11, 12, 13 dividends were going up. In the, in the above 10% dividend increases on average. Now they've slowed down. Sometimes you're still getting a penny or two, but you're still getting sustainability and even increases. And so it's, I, I don't know a better way to accumulate long-term wealth than great companies bought right and held for decades, decades, and then make a chip. You know, if something goes wrong, make a chip. Look, GE was a great company. Right. It became... It became a disaster, and so uh, you take your medicine, you sell GE, hopefully before it you know goes to single digits, and you switch to something else. But in the meantime, things like Johnson and Johnson, 3M, uh, a util- a great utilities, well, ne- next, next, year, next year, those have energy. done those have done really well over right. the years. So you're going to have a turkey. You're going to have a turkey, but that that's part of investing. You know, that's can't be perfect. I had a client tell me years ago, may he rest in peace. He said, if you don't have tax losses at the end of the year, you're not trying hard enough. In other words, you're not being imaginative enough. It's true. You're going to have losses. Get used to it. I don't like them. Who likes them? You're, you're known as a, a, a chronic warrior. I've been you know, interviewing you many, many times over the years, and you're always concerned about you know, performance and how your shareholders are doing. So you know, what is worrying you today? What are you most worried about? I'm going to say I'm going to say two things. One directly stock market related because I think we don't have a clue what corporate earnings are going to be next year. I worry about the economy recovering. I worry about how much it will recover. Um, I, I worry about uh, the estimates of the earnings estimates for next year range from $120 to $170 for the S&P. Show, you know, if you can drive a truck through estimates like that, right. all it tells you is no, nobody knows. Um, you, you're seeing a difficulty in reopening things. The second thing I worry about, people losing jobs, not getting their jobs back, and more broadly, the, the wealth inequality. And you just would really love to see, um, you just love to see more people able to invest. You'd love to see uh, I'd love to see minorities be able to participate in this economy. Do I worry about it? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's 
always worried about it, but I think I think the country's had a real wake-up call, and that's a good thing. And we'll figure out. I'm guessing we'll figure out some ways to deal with it. From your lips to God's ears. I Hirsch. hope so. I <laughs> hope so. I do too. Uh, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. An updated an updated list of uh, the dividend payers. Great companies bought right, and not just one. You know, a package of them. And there are many ways to do that. You can pick them off one by one yourself. There are funds, and um, just that that's the way I see it. So I've done both. And, you know, that's worked over the many years I've been interviewing you. It's been a, a, a really good portfolio suggestion. So Hirschcon, yeah. always a treat to talk to you. And thank you so much for your perspective and your optimism. Makes me feel a lot better. Oh, I didn't know I was being optimistic, but that's nice. <laughs> Consuelo, I love you. I'm so glad to be on with you. And uh, thank you. And um Everybody stay healthy. Thanks, Hirsch. At the conclusion of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is don't try to time the market. Strategus' Jason Trenet reminded me of the dangers of market timing in a recent report. Here are the numbers for the S&P 500's compounded annual growth rate between 1995 and June of 2020. 7.8% annualized returns if you stayed fully invested. That drops to 5.9% if you missed just the five best trading days. Miss the 20 best market days, your annual return falls to 2.4%. Miss the 30 best, you barely break even on an annual basis. The best 40 days lost, it's negative 1%. Unless the best 50 trading days, your returns are down to minus 2.5%. That's how hard market timing is. Better to stay invested in the market at your comfort level, of course. Next week, another great value investor tackles economic inequality. Gotham Asset Management's Joel Greenblatt shares his Common Sense Investor's Guide to Equality, Opportunity, and Growth. In this week's extra feature, Hirsch Cohen will discuss how COVID-19 has permanently altered his outlook and behavior. He will also share his very popular dividend compounders list, on WealthTrack.com. As always, thank you for connecting with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for spending time with us. Enjoy your weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.